you guys that are joining online. What a great morning to be here in person as we have baptisms. It's going to be such a fun uh, celebration. As Michael said, uh, this fall at the Vineyard, we've been working our way through a unique series through the book of Exodus, this Old Testament book. We're only six weeks in, but already it has been so encouraging to see and hear all the different ways that folks are engaging uh, with a series of messages. Deep conversations uh, taking place in small groups about Exodus. Tons of folks getting prayer in response to things. And then many of you applying the lessons of Exodus into your day-to-day lives. Who knew that this could happen from you know, some material that was written thousands of years ago? Such great stuff already and a lot, lot more to come. Here's a key theme that we've discovered already in the book of Exodus, in our story. A key theme is that um, eventually everyone will know who Yahweh is and what Yahweh is like. Now, some people uh, will come to this knowledge of God willingly, and others come to that more unwillingly, as we begin to see today. Whatever the case is, God is on a mission to reveal his name and his character first to his chosen people and then through them to all the nations uh, on the earth. Let's look again at Exodus 6 to see how this plays out, starting in verse 2. God said to Moses, I am the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh is my name. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan uh, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord Yahweh. So this is God's word to the Israelites in the midst of their suffering. He reveals who he is, not as some random deity, but he is Yahweh, the God who was, the God who is, the God who is to come. And God shows us what he is like. God's character is revealed by the things that he promises uh, to do. Did you catch the repeated phrase there that shows up there in the last section of I will? There's actually seven I will statements that God makes. He says, I'm gonna be good on my promise. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the promised land and I will give it to you as a possession. Friends, the God that loved the Israelites and rescued them is the God that promises to love and to rescue us. Let me say that again. The God that loved and rescued these ancient Israelites is the same God that promises to love and rescue us right here today. As Michael touched on last week, God delivers us so that we can experientially and personally know him. The entire Exodus event is like this monument that reminds us who God is and what he's like, and it helps us to remember what our lives are meant to be about, who we are, whose we are, as well as what does it mean 
for us to be the people of God in our current moment in history. So we get this invitation to willingly come to know God in this way. But as I mentioned a moment ago, there's also others that come to this knowledge of God maybe a bit more unwillingly. And in the Exodus narrative, this dynamic is vividly shown through the character of Pharaoh. Back in Exodus 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh wasn't just disinterested. He saw himself as a god. Pharaoh had positioned himself as a rival deity to Yahweh. And so in large part, what we're going to see unfolding over the next number of chapters here in Exodus is that this is God's response to Pharaoh's challenge. Pharaoh says, I'm a god. I don't have to listen to you. And God says, let me show you (laughs) what I am like. Even if Pharaoh is unwilling, Pharaoh is going to see who Yahweh is and what Yahweh is like. So again, in the coming weeks, we're going to unpack detail a little bit more about this showdown that takes place between Pharaoh and Yahweh with the famous ten plagues. Uh, But for this morning, we're actually going to explore an exchange that happens immediately before that. Uh, This is like uh, uh, a bit of the prologue before the big event, and there's a ton that it can show us. So if you want to grab a Bible, if you've got a Bible with you, um, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 6. We'll be right at the end of that, and um, we'll look at this next scene in the narrative. While you're turning there, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today. God, we want to see you more and more for who you are. God, we want to experience you for who you are and what you are like. And God, we want to have, God, these promises that you have made work themselves out in and through our lives even more. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just realized that the pulpit is not centered. <laughs> that feels so much better. <laughs> I was like, I'm all the way over here. Okay, here we go. Exodus chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 28. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses, he said to him, I am the Lord. Uh, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything that I tell you. And then Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. And you are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of the country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring up my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And then the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, when I stretch out my hand against them and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83, holy cow, uh, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. 
Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, and yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Okay, we'll stop there for now. Um, Next week, John will be exploring uh, what's referenced right here in verse 13 about Pharaoh's heart being hard, as well as beginning to unpack the significance of these 10 different strikes, these 10 plagues that God brings to the Egyptians on the eve of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt. It's going to be great. You do not want to miss it. Okay, but here's our focus for today, okay? Uh, Again, God is on a mission to show us who he is and what he is like. Eventually, everyone will know who Yahweh is and what he is like, but how does God reveal himself? How does God make himself known? This morning, we're gonna look at two key ways that God reveals himself. That God reveals himself through his people and that God reveals himself through his power. Okay, so the first one, God reveals himself through his people. In this story, there's a unique way that God invited Moses to reflect and represent him. Look again in Exodus 7.1. It says that the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to, uh, to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. God was saying to Moses, when Pharaoh looks at you, it will be as if he is looking at a God. That's the Hebrew word Elohim. Pharaoh can't see me, and so Moses, you will be my image. You will make me visible as Pharaoh rises up as a rival deity. And along with that, Aaron, you will be Moses' mouthpiece. You'll be his prophet. You will speak the words that Moses gives you. Moses will reflect God, and Aaron, you will represent him to Pharaoh. Now, I've read Exodus 7 dozens of times um, throughout my life, but I don't know if I had quite caught the significance of this one verse until recently. I was listening to a podcast from the, the guys from the Bible Project, and they were explaining how this subtle shift in this scene, in this encounter, shows us something about God's mission uh, to make himself known. What happens with Moses and with Aaron here in Exodus 7 is meant to be this broader lesson uh, to God's people about our call, their call to reflect and represent Yahweh. It's through his people. It's through his people that God is going to make himself known. And that calling comes out of a special relationship that God had made with Israel. Uh, here's how this, uh, the book of Deuteronomy uh, describes this in chapter 4. It says, remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt. Isn't that a vivid picture? (laughs) The iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession. This echoes what we read um, uh, earlier in Exodus 6, where Yahweh says, I will be your God, and I will take you to be my very own people. Similarly, in Exodus 4, God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. And so just like a child bears the image of his or her uh, parents, uh, 
Israel, the Israelites, were to bear God's image. They were to reflect and represent Yahweh in the world. Okay, that's a little bit, we've been working through a little bit thick conceptually, but do you get the idea of what we're talking about so far? What we see in Moses and Aaron applies to the Israelites and then applies to us. And if we lean into this, it's going to be really powerful. And I think this goes back to so much of what we've been talking about in the book of Exodus. Here's why. Understanding this ancient story, understanding the Exodus story actually can help us to grasp what it means to be a follower of Jesus today. Again, this is it's kind of an odd thing to think about. Like this story is from years and years ago, centuries ago, completely different culture, and yet it can speak so much to us about how we live as Christians, as followers of Jesus in northern Minnesota and Wisconsin, wherever we're from, you know, right here in the 21st century. That's why the heart of why we're doing this sermon series, this Exodus story is the dominant narrative that the early Christians used to try and explain what the rescue that Jesus brought through his death and his resurrection was all about and what it means for us to be the people of God uh, in our current day. Okay, here's another layer how this not only applies uh, to today's passage, but will help you as we continue along in our series in Exodus. We think about, in many ways, Moses is pointing to Jesus, and the Israelites, Israel, are help pointing to us. So Moses, Moses was the one that delivered Egypt, uh, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. Jesus was the one that rescues us from our bondage to sin. Moses gave God's people the Sinai covenant written on tablets. Jesus gave us the new covenant that's written on our hearts. Moses led the people towards the promised land. Jesus leads us into an eternal kind of life, a brand new way of living this promised land of our hearts. Those are just a few. There's so many more that we're gonna see, these correlations of what God first did in the Exodus story that then he does even more fully in the person of Jesus and then through his church as this all unfolds. So again, this is not only about Moses and Jesus, but we also see these correlations between the Israelites and us. Listen how the apostle Peter describes our identity as Christians. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Do you hear those same themes coming up? God says, you are my people. You're the ones that I have chosen. You're my special possession. Just like I did first with Moses and with the Israelites, now I'm doing with you as you commit your lives to Jesus all those same kinds of things I want you to step into. Okay, so... There's so much for us to apply from this ancient story of an oppressed people rescued from slavery, and so much of what we're looking at today leads to this point. Friends, God gives us the invitation to reflect and represent him. We are invited to become sons and daughters of God. We're invited to bear his image everywhere we go and in everything that we do. Think about this, the God of the universe has invited you and I to represent him in this world. That's his plan. That's his plan A. He's got no plan B. He's called you and me to be his reflection 
and his representation in the world. The New Testament describes us as his witnesses and his ambassadors. Jesus declared, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, a lamp on a nightstand. And Jesus said this, the world will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. This is the calling that God's invited us into as his people to reflect and to represent him in the world that we live. Now this calling to be image bearers, man, that sounds challenging, right? So we're like, wow, that's amazing. But it's also an amazing privilege. Let me share just two brief points um, as we consider this invitation. First of all, if you're feeling yourself like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this, let me give you this encouragement. Even a dim reflection can shine a great light. For some of you, as you hear me cast that vision uh, for reflecting God in the world, you immediately disqualify yourself. You may even had a strong reaction of shame rise up, like, like I, I could never do that. Like, I just, my life is not together enough. I know for myself, I battled those kinds of thoughts at numerous different times through my life and even put added pressure on myself to like produce something of worth. This is an interesting thing. This week, I was oddly encouraged uh, along these lines by thinking about the moon. You guys think about the moon? <laughs> Here's what it was about. Did you know, you know, on the moon, all on its own, the moon is just a cold, dark stone hanging in, uh, in space. What creates the beautiful full moon that we saw maybe just like three weeks ago. What's it called? The, um, this was the harvest moon or this is the, it's one of those moons, <laughs> okay? What creates this amazing light? It's the light of the sun reflecting off of it. Even in all its beauty, did you know that the moon only reflects 12% of the sunlight that hits it? 12%, and yet we get this kind of a beauty. We, we go, we, we stand out in the night uh, time, and we think, oh, man, there's something about that it even draws us to this transcendence. But 12% <laughs> is all that it's reflecting, showing the glory of God. Yet it lights up the night sky because it is aligned with the sun. And so, in our lives, even if we feel like, man, I just, I don't know if I've got what it takes if we are aligned with God, even the dimmest light can even shine brightly. Here's a second thought that picks up on something Michael shared last week. Whatever we fix our gaze upon is what we reflect. As Michael said, the purpose of God's rescue is that we would be freed to worship. And the next layer to this is to realize that whatever we worship is also whatever we reflect. Whatever we worship is what we reflect. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And all of us, without any veil on our faces, we gaze at the glory of God as in a mirror. And so we are being changed into this very same image from glory to glory. So like our lives, they are like mirrors. Whatever is most important to us, whatever we give our gaze and affection to, will be transformed into, and that's what's gonna be mirrored in and through our lives. This is one of the things I love about Baptism Sundays. Um, you know, I love the way that we set up this camera so that um, as folks are being baptized, 
You can see people's faces as they go under the water and they come back up. If you've never seen this before, you are in such a treat, uh, and for such a treat today. If you've been around for baptism Sundays, um, man, like this is such an awesome blast. Uh, people are often radiating with joy as they come out of the water. Uh, there's this sense of God's glory on their faces as they have aligned their lives with the person of Jesus, as they've set their gaze upon him. It is stunningly beautiful. There's something so attractive, so compelling about this that speaks to us. It reflects who God is and what God is like. Man, we've got so much to look forward to today. As we finish up this section in the message, let me ask you this question. To whom do you desire to be a reflection of Jesus? In your life, who would you really love to be a reflection of Jesus towards? You know, maybe it's a family member. As you listen to me this morning, you might be thinking of your son or your daughter. You might be thinking about one of your grandkids or another family member. You might think of a friend that comes to mind. You know, somebody that you care deeply about, but it currently like, is not having any kind of real life with Jesus. Again, you don't have to be perfect at this. Um, you know, what could it be like to be a reflection of Jesus in their life? Maybe God's inviting you to be a reflection of his image to your neighbors or to people at work or at school. Who's in your heart to be able to reflect Jesus? Whatever the case is, I want to challenge you to take this in. Again, God's mission is to transform you and I to become more and more like him, more and more into his image, we're being transformed. And God has intentionally set up things so that others will come to know who he is by them seeing his reflection in our lives. Again, that's a humbling thing, but also I really want you to catch, like, what an amazing privilege that the God of the universe has invited us to reflect him, to represent him in this world and that somehow, even in our imperfections, that others would catch a glimpse of this amazing Savior, this glorious King, Jesus, through you and through me. And so God invites us. He invites us to turn towards him and say, God, would you reflect your love and your light through me to others? For a moment, let's actually just press into that for a moment. God, would you... Would you just come? God, as we've maybe even had some people that have come to our minds right now, Lord, we would want to just add our prayers to that. God, would you make me? <laughs> would you create in me this reflection of you that others could see? Not that they'd see me, <laughs> but Lord, that they would see you. Yeah, God, and um, we just... We want to express this from the place of love and care. I just, one of the things I was praying about this week is, is that so often, like there's a connection between the power of our prayers and the depth of our love. The people that you care most about, you have like an added punch to pray for them. <laughs> and so God, would you even just put your power on that for these folks that are coming to our minds, that they would experience you through us as we seek to reflect you in this time. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen.
So you encourage you, follow the love. Follow that spot where your heart is drawn. Give yourself to this where you say, God, like these folks that I care about, I really want to be a right reflection, a wonderful representation of you. Okay, so that's one element that we see in today's passage, that God reveals himself through his people. Uh, here's the second, that God also reveals himself through his power. Again, John and Michael will unpack a bunch more about this theme in the coming weeks, but for this morning, let's look at some interesting tidbits uh, from this scene in Exodus about the staff and the snakes. What a really interesting thing, right? Okay, the staff motif in Exodus, this theme of the snake has come up numerous times already in our study. Uh, Back in Exodus 1, we get a portrait of Pharaoh as a snake dealing shrewdly with the Israelites. He's like a serpent, (laughs) you know, just like we see in the original garden scene with Adam and with Eve. Exodus 2, the Hebrew midwives are portrayed as this, like, anti-Eve, this redeemed Eve, these women that resist the voice of the snake. In Exodus 4, God first shows Moses the sign of turning his staff into a snake and then back into a staff again. And then we get to chapter 7, and this theme of a snake appears once again. Look again at um, verses 10 through 12. It says that Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians uh, also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down their staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So the short scene uh, contains some fascinating tidbits. Uh, first, the word snake, uh, this reference in verse 10 here, comes from the Hebrew word tannin, uh, which actually could be more literally translated sea creature or sea monster. Um, there's a whole trail we could go down here, but there's like this fascinating connection between that word and that symbol and some of the ways that the ancient Egyptians, how they gave like this idolatrous worship to sea creatures. And so God is answering them through the staff that becomes a sea creature and answering Pharaoh's challenge. And so Aaron, he throws out his staff, it becomes the snake-like sea creature. And next, as we'll see in the later plagues, the Egyptian magicians replicate the sign. But in the end, the power of Yahweh is too overwhelming. Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Literally, it engulfed them. Something about this scene um, that uh, the Bible practices are also talking about, there's an honor and shame culture that's being displayed. It's a dynamic that's going on here where the reputation of one's name is of highest value. And so when there's a contest between great names, between Pharaoh and and Yahweh, between Egypt and Israel, it becomes this contest of reputations. Yahweh's name is to be associated with freeing all of creation from the power, the snare of the snake. And when Yahweh meets the snake in the form of an imperial king that won't acknowledge him as the true God, it's time to crush the snake. That's what unfolds here in the Exodus story. In a significant way, this is also one of the first movements towards the fulfillment of the prophecy that first came in Genesis 3, verse 15, which says that the seed of the woman will crush the snake. 
Now this prophecy will ultimately be fulfilled through the life of Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. But here in Exodus, we get this foreshadowing of that victory that God is going to secure. As Moses is um, depicted as this one that has an authority, a power over the snake. Okay, here's the reality that all of this encounter is pointing towards. God's power is all-consuming. There's nothing like it. God's power is all-consuming, and we have a choice. We can either be engulfed by it, or we can be embraced by it. We can be engulfed by his power, or we can actually let it come willingly towards us, and we can be embraced by it. In the next few chapters, we're going to see that Pharaoh chose to be engulfed. <laughs> he hardened his heart. He resisted. Through the ten plagues that follow, Yahweh revealed his power over the false gods of Egypt and brought Pharaoh back to human size. Again, John and Michael will be unpacking more about these themes in the coming weeks. But there's also the other choice. This is what I want to point us towards today. We don't have to be engulfed. We can actually be embraced by God's power. This is a key way that God reveals who he is and what he is like. You know, I think, again, like we're going to celebrate baptisms here in a moment. This is what these folks are representing. They're saying, I'm being embraced by this amazing power that has come to me through the person of Jesus. That there was a way that, that we could never get back to God on our own. There was a debt of sin that we could never repay. And that they're recognizing that God has come in the person of Jesus to secure rescue for us that we could never obtain on our own. As these folks are going to go into the baptismal waters, they're recognizing that their hope, they're signifying that their hope is in Jesus to be that deliverer, the one that's going to lead them to new life. Listen to this. Through Jesus, God has conquered the enemies of our souls. That's what he invites us into. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that invites us to come to him. That uniquely through the person of Christ, God is conquering. He is swallowing up the enemies of our soul. I love how the Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death, it is swallowed up. <laughs> death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is the life that Jesus invites us into, one that's embraced by his power, where we receive what Jesus has done for us through his death and through his resurrection, and we step into this brand new kind of life that we are empowered by his spirit. And so we're so excited to come alongside uh, the people that are getting baptized today as they are responding to God in this exact way. But as we wrap up a little bit later, um, this is the kind of response that every one of us can make to God as well. We say, God, I want your life. I want your power to just embrace me in the deepest ways. God, would you go to battle against anything that is going to battle against me?
God, even my own sin, my own selfishness, would you be the one that conquers all of that and leads me to this eternal kind of life? That's the kind of prayer that we can pray. Okay, should we baptize some people? Let's do it. Okay, so um, baptism. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Baptism is this outward expression of a deep inner commitment that someone has made to Christ. Now, throughout the centuries, baptism has been a primary marker of initiation into God's family. And there's so much that baptism represents, so many powerful experiences even, uh, that take place through baptism. Uh, in Romans 6, it says that when we join with Christ through baptism, uh, it's like we're being raised to new life, just like Jesus was raised from the dead. And so here at the Vineyard, we practice baptism by immersion. Um, the original Greek word for baptism is baptizo. Uh, isn't actually originally a, a, a religious term. It was describing like a, a piece of cloth being baptized, being immersed in a dye, or maybe they'd use a, a, in, um, in sea, um, seafaring kinds of things where they talk about a ship sinking, that it was baptized into the sea. Its, its, uh, its identity, its makeup has permanently been changed. It's the same thing for us as we commit our lives to Christ, that we are baptized into him and that we get invited into this brand new way of living yeah, and so Galatians 3 talks about baptism being like putting on a new set of clothes. What's true about Jesus becomes true uh, about us. Okay, so this morning, um, we're going to celebrate with a number of people that have decided to be baptized. If you are one of those folks for this service, why don't you come and start to make your way up front here. And uh, as they do that, uh, let me just offer a couple other encouragements to us as we come alongside these folks and we think about this in our own lives. First of all, in your life, um, if you have already committed your life to Jesus and you've been baptized, today's celebration uh, can be an opportunity for you to reflect again on what that means for you and assess how your relationship with Jesus is going right now. You know, typically we only get baptized once in water, but being immersed in Christ, living in union with Jesus is something that we can experience day by day over and over again. Secondly, um, some of you actually have never been baptized. Um, and so this could be an amazing experience for you to just watch and to take in what this is all about. You know, maybe even as you hear me talk about what baptism represents, talk about this new life in Jesus, you may be saying to yourself, like, wow, like, I want that. Like, I, I need that. Like, there is something in you that is drawn towards this beauty, this wonder of the love and power of God that's represented and revealed through Jesus. Okay? And so there's a couple different ways that you could respond. Um, one is that we do baptism several times a year. And so we're going to have a number of those, another one of those coming up in the wintertime. You could get ready to be able to do that uh, at a later date. But also, we offer for folks to get baptized right on the spot, spontaneously. Um, almost every single time that we do this, we have some folks um, that respond. I was remembering back to a time um, just before the pandemic. It was a Saturday night service. Uh, we had one person that was signed up to be baptized, and they weren't able to make it that night. I think they had to shift over to the Sunday morning. And so we had a baptism service without any baptizees. <laughs> At least that's the way it was set up. Okay, and so finished the message, 
uh, we gave this invitation, and actually five people that night responded right in the moment. It was so powerful. You see the Holy Spirit work, and you see people respond. Maybe that is you this morning. That you're just feeling this draw and say, like, I, I need to do this today. We actually have clothes, a change of clothes. We've got towels. So if you would like to take that step, you can come over here, see John and Steph when the moment comes, and they'd love to share a little bit about that with you. Okay? So, folks, you're getting baptized. Aren't these great folks? Yes, let's give them a hand. I'm going to ask you a few questions that followers of Jesus have answered for you know, a couple thousand years now um, as they take the step uh, to be baptized. Okay, so you guys can turn that direction so the folks on the camera can see you, and the questions will be up on the screen here as well so everybody else can see them. Okay, so question one, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord and King? And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life and grace, if so, answer, I do, really loud. I do. Awesome. Question number two, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways? Again, answer, I do. I do. Question three, do you confess your need for the forgiveness of sins and with a humble heart put your hope in God's mercy and your whole trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Again, answer, I do. I do. Finally, with his help, do you seek to follow Christ, becoming more and more like him until you see him face to face? You can answer, with all my heart, I do. I do. Awesome, great. Would you uh, join me in praying for these guys? God, thank you so much. Thank you for these three that have taken this step. God, to reflect you and represent you and, and want to receive all that you have for them. God, would you come on them in power, even right now, as they take this step with you. As a church community, God, as a church family, we just say yes and amen to this step and we welcome them as part of the body of Christ. Bless them now, God, as they take this step. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and head over there. Again, if God's stirring in you, you think, man, I think I want to get baptized today. Go over and see John and um, Steph over here. Uh, they can explain more to you about that. Um, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have these folks come up. Uh, we'll be baptizing them uh, one by one. You'll be able to see that on the screen. Worship team's going to lead us in some worship. Um, as we do that, we'll have the words up on the screen as well. And then we all have an important piece in this. When those folks come, they go into the water and they come back up, we're going to hoop and holler and celebrate because this is a really, really big deal. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, let's take a break. God, thank you again for these uh, folks that got baptized today. We, again, we just pray that you would fill them full and fresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. God, for this brand new kind of life that they are stepping into and Lord, we, we just want to come and ask for that for ourselves. Um, we transition to praying for one another and we're going to some more ministry here. And so as we do that, God, we just ask that you would fill us. God, we are empty in ourselves, but Lord, you have promised to fill us with your spirit. So come even now, Lord. Come even now. 
I want to invite you to just respond to, to maybe some of the nudgings that God might be doing with you this morning. You know, again, maybe leaning deeper into uh, that short experience that we had in the middle of the message of praying for folks that you want to be a reflection of Jesus towards. Praying for yourself <laughs> that you could increasingly be turned towards Jesus, aligned with him, stepping away from anything else that would be in the way, the obstacles of that, have his light shining on you and being reflected to others. It could be a whole number of things that God might be drawing up in your heart right now and that you could take a moment to respond and, and just say, God, would you help me? God, would you meet me right in this moment to respond to you? So if you're on our ministry team, why don't you come on forward? Um, we're going to pray for some folks. We're going to continue to worship uh, here a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I was, I was sensing as I was praying for today, um, again, that, that kind of spark of, of like a shame reaction, whether it was related to like the reflection of Jesus being that, or just any other thing that maybe is cropping up in your life, God wants to meet you in the middle of his experiences and swallow up sin, death, the power of the devil, and just wrap that up in your life. So anything that you might be facing, any ways that you feel like you've been veering from God's path, that he can come and just embrace you with his power. And maybe there's uh, uh, folks here that like you've never committed your life to Christ. These folks up here are trained. They'd love to be able to explain to you, lead you through what it would be like to begin a brand new life uh, with Jesus. But also, I mean, like this altar's open, like anything that you're coming in with today, uh, you know, whether it's relational things, maybe there's just anxieties and stresses that are going on in life, financial pressures, whatever it might be, you can come just as you are, right before the Lord, would love to join you and just pray that God's blessing and his power would be on you as we respond to him. So Lord, just help us to respond to you. God, give us your grace. God, give us your power even more. We love you and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Band's going to lead some more, some more worship. I encourage you to hang out, come up and get some prayer. Uh, we're also going to be congratulating the folks that got baptized out in the lobby here in a little bit. So thanks so much again for being here today at the Vineyard.